Amen. Good morning. I'm Case Hubbard. I'm the student pastor here. If you don't know me, that's who I am. So today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to pick up where Ron left off last week. Uh, he, he wrapped up uh, in verse 11, and we will start in verse 12. Uh, while you're turning there, though, I'm going to talk about just questions. I like to ask questions uh, when, I get to, when I get to talk. Um, we, are just a, we are a nation of people of questions. We ask multiple questions and look at multiple different areas for answers. Questions from Brett Favre, is he coming back? Is he going to come back and play ball or not? And I mean, that question right there entertained at least me for six months of the off season, and I, you know, I just thank God, literally for Brett, and uh, allowing us to have something to talk about during the off season of football. I'm a football fan. If you're not, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm going to have three different football references today, uh, so just turn it off and then turn it back on. So Willie or won't he? Obviously, he came back doing a great job uh, with the with the Vikings right now. Another question uh, that may have come up: David Letterman. What's going on with David Letterman? Um, in, in, in that track, it's interesting to me just where we as a society, a public eye, have decided to draw the line of morality. Uh, it, it's interesting to me. I obviously do not agree with what happened, but am glad that he has, you know, come out and moved forward and, and great job. Um, but again, it's just interesting to me that our, our world of tolerance has now become intolerant and decided to draw a line somewhere. Just, hey, we don't like this. Here's the line. Uh, and that's interesting to me where we get that. Um, or where our nation does. Another question, Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, you may be asking, why? What has he done? Or, or you may be asking, why not? And so it could go either way. You could be on either side, and whatever side is great, uh, fantastic, run with it. Um, so questions that we ask. I was on vacation this week. Uh, we went to San Antonio, and we were staying in uh, a hotel there, and I have a three and three-quarter year old. She's almost four. She'll be four in December. And then I have a four-month-old. And so both of those kids were sleeping in the same room. We had two beds and a, and a crib. And my wife is... So she put them to bed and then... I, I, I was at a loss, so I just won't say it. So she put, put them to bed and then she went to her parents' room and left me there. Uh, and I, I know... That if I wake either kid up, I am in serious trouble, and I might as well just go home now. And so I find myself sitting in a dark room with the bathroom door kind of cracked and the, just a vague light peering in, and I think, well, i do something. And so I go to the drawer, and I open it, and there is the Bible, which I have a few of those with me, and then there's the Book of, the, of Mormon. And I think, I've not read that. So I pick it up, and I go sit down. I'm Literally, I'm sitting next to the bathroom light in the hallway, Reading the intro of, and so there's a, uh, if you've never read it at the beginning, there's just a short intro of pretty much an argumentation of what the book is and kind of a short history. There is a little discourse from three witnesses and five witnesses, and then Joseph Smith basically does a nutshell story of what happened to him. And, you know, in, in 1820-ish, we have a man who asks a question. Uh, at that time, there was an uprising in just a revival time with the, with the Baptist church and the Methodist church. And he was asking, God, which way do I go? Uh, and found an answer, but I would argue did not find the right answer, nor have that answer grounded in the foundation of God's word is to where we are going to look. In, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, all scripture is inspired by or breathed by God or God spirited. Given the authority by God, Paul is referring to the Hebrew Bible and whatever New Testament letters were circulating in, in, in a use of that time. And we will now say it encompasses all of our New Testament. And he says that, that Scripture, God's breathed word, is profitable for us for teaching, 
for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. It is, it is there to teach us and reveal to us God's Word is God revealing or showing Himself to us. God's saying, this is who I am, this is who you are in relation to that, and this is how you are to respond. He says it is to teach us, it is to rebuke us, to say this is where you are wrong, but not only to say where you're wrong, this is how you fix where you're wrong, and then to train you to live the way God has called you to live. And so we will ask two questions today, and we will look in God's read's word to find those answers. Number one question today uh, is what is the end or the goal? What makes this life complete? What is the goal of life? Second question is, what should I be doing about it? We're going to pick up and just back up for a moment in chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Paul says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Stop right there. Ron last week delicately described rubbish as poo. Uh, for you all last week if you were here. And so now that is the third time we've talked about the potty in our service in the last two weeks, between Ron, the video, and now myself. So walk away encouraged today. Rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to be like him, and I want to be a part of God's physical redemption in the end. So just keep that in mind for a moment. And we pick up in verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained all of this or have been made perfect. Stop there. This letter is, I mean, it's a letter of encouragement that Paul writes from more than likely a jail cell in Rome, uh, or at least his, his uh, house, uh, house arrest. Sends this letter to the Philippians who he had gone to, had shared the gospel with people, began to follow him. And, I mean, the Philippians, as we see throughout this book, are, I mean, they're doing what God had called them to do. They are, I mean, they're living out their faith. They're sharing Christ. Uh, Paul warns of some things to watch out for, for false teachings and things like that. But he also is encouraging and thanking them for sending the gifts that, that were there to bless him, to help him just sustain life. Uh, they, are, they are involved in being persecuted. Uh, they are sharing in Paul's sufferings. Paul is right, man. They're doing a good job. But Paul writes back and he says, Not that I've already obtained all this or have been made perfect. If we go back and look at, at the, the short bio that Paul gives, uh, going from, I don't know, verse 5 or verse 4 all the way to 8, where he says, I'm, you know, if anybody has confidence in what we do physically or in the flesh or what we put forth, it would be me who was circumcised on the eighth day, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a persecutor of the church. I mean, Paul was the man in terms of Judaism. Paul says all that is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And he goes, goes further, and, and the guy who is in a in prison, in chains, for living all of his being to go out and to do what God had called him to do, to live out the mission God had given him back in Acts 9 when God called him, is sitting in chains for that. I mean, living basically the pinnacle of following Jesus says, I have yet to obtain perfection. 
which is an encouragement to us that He has yet to make it. He hasn't made it to the goal. He hasn't made it to the end. He doesn't have it all together, which is encouraging for us because neither do we. We've not obtained that. We've not been made perfect. But highlight just the, the made perfect for one second. It's not that Paul is out and doing and making himself perfect. The reference is that God is the one who makes, who completes, who works in, who makes or will make Paul perfect. Not only before God, but what I would argue in a physical sense uh, upon his return. And so he says, I have not been made perfect yet, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, I press on or I chase after. I mean, he, he exerts a great deal of effort in chasing after the goal. It's the same word that is used when he describes himself back in, in his past, in his bio, that he was a persecutor of the church. Same word. It can be translated as a persecutor or as a chasing, a pressing on. It's not just that I am moving forward in, but I am chasing after this goal, this mission that God called me to the same way that he was chasing after those who were following Jesus in his formal, former state. And so he says, I am, I am chasing after to take hold of that which Christ, um, for that which Christ took hold of me. And that take hold of me was, is also communicating this idea of a great deal of effort. That God literally, literally took a great deal of effort, put a great deal of effort into grabbing Paul. As we look at Acts 9, and Paul is on his, on his way uh, to Damascus to, to persecute the church, to arrest people, to bring them back to Jerusalem, those who are following Jesus. If Jesus physically stops the guy... And calls him to follow him. God put forth a great deal of effort to reach out and to grab Paul and to use him. Verse 13 says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead. So he says, I'm not there yet. I haven't obtained it. I haven't been made perfect. But this is what I do do. I forget what is behind me and I push forward. What is he talking about? Forgetting what is behind. What is behind you, Paul? There are a few different options. One could just be who he was in the past. He's obviously referred to that uh, rather recently when he was doing his bio. And as a persecutor of the church, that may be what Paul has to deal with on a continual basis. He may be faced with every day who he was and now who he's supposed to be. And it could be that Paul is saying, I am, I am placing that behind me. Not to forget, to banish from my memory, but that it does not affect, it doesn't hinder my chasing after this goal that God has set before me. Another option could be um, what we in, in American church today might call a failure as far as ministry goes. Because Paul obviously had a great deal of success going out, sharing the gospel, and people coming to know, to know Jesus. Paul also had a great deal of uh, not success of being arrested, being uh, beaten, being stoned, being thrown in jail where he is obviously now. And it could be that Paul is saying, my circumstances, my situation is not hindering me sharing the gospel, is not hindering me loving God with all of my being. Another option, another option uh, could be, which is probably not, but I'm going to say it because I like it and I like the way it sounds and it makes a good point. Our past success can hinder our future success. 
This is your second football reference. You've got the Pittsburgh Steelers right now who won the Super Bowl last year. They've returned 22 of 20 starters. That means there are 11 people on the field on both sides of the ball if you don't know football. They've brought most of their team back. Uh, they should be a powerhouse right now, and they're 2-2, two and two, which means they've won two games, they've lost two games, which makes them mediocre. And they're calling it right now the Super Bowl hangover, which is easy to do. You win one, we've made it, we've arrived. And they don't have to work as hard, which they go out, and then obviously they lose two games, and we'll move on from that now. Same thing can happen in our workplace. When you do well, get a pat on the back, get a good bonus or anything like that. I have arrived. I'm doing a good job. I am a good employee. Feel good about myself. And then we don't move forward from that. And six months later, we look at it and we go, uh-oh. That's something that, that I face on a continual basis of having to always be looking forward. What's happening next? What are we doing next? How are we reaching kids next? What are we teaching next? It's always what's in front of us. Seeking to share Jesus with kids and deal with whatever issues they're going through instead of going, man, we had a great camp in July, and now it's December. And we'll have another great camp in July. And some people do it that way. Another, another example that may hit a little closer to home, when we have success in our relationships, in our in our. Uh, in our marriages. We as men, when I, when I was 19, I met my wife, whose name is Ryan, and for a whole year, I ran with all of my being chasing this five-foot woman. And it was exhausting. I mean, I was worn out. And I'm still a little worn out from the, from the whole thing. I caught her because I'm faster than she is, but my goodness, what an effort that took to win that woman. And when we were engaged, I remember we were in Amarillo. And this, I mean, just kind of a good picture of basic. My life consisted of Ryan was on my mind all the time. All the time. And so we go fishing. I go fishing with my dad and my uncles and my cousins. Um, and we went to this place and go in this bait shop. And I walk in with my dad and my uncles who are, I mean, just manly men. Uh, great guys, great role models. I mean, I love them all. We walk in and I immediately go to the... Tackle section, tackle meaning like the bait and things that you will use to fish. And I find every piece of pink fishing equipment that I can find in this store. My Uncle Mike is like, what are you doing? I mean, he was in, I think he left because he didn't want to be seen next to me. And so I buy the stuff and I take it to Ryan who is, she doesn't fish. I think she's fished twice since we've been married, maybe three times. Uh, but that, I mean, that was just a good picture. I was chasing after, hey, I'm thinking about you. Here's some fishing stuff. It's pink. That's chasing after. If I go in the bait shop tomorrow, am I thinking about pink tackle? No. I want to go fishing. I got a break. We have two kids. But I mean, it would be a good thing for me to walk in thinking, hey, pink fishing equipment. Why? Because that makes her, that allows her to know, that makes her see, I am still chasing after you. And our marriage is the same idea. We have to continually, daily chase after the woman that we want. So the things behind us, we have to daily forget, not to, again, banish from our mind, but to not hinder us from pursuing, from pressing forward, from chasing after. In verse 14, he says, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We'll stop right there. He refers to, in verse 14, the goal of the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
I'm going to argue and we're going to discuss and kind of flesh out what is the goal? What is the end? If we go back again to verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ, the power of his suffering and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to obtain the resurrection from the dead. My first argument of what the goal is. Paul is saying the goal is to know Jesus, to be like him and to partake in God's physical redemption in the end. And the other half of that goal, I'm going to argue, is coming out of right here in verse 14 toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called him. God called him, hey, you are going to go and you are going to share the story of Jesus with the world. And the end goal for Paul was to know God, to love him, to be a part and to share Jesus with people. To the question, what is the goal of life? That is it. For us today, it is the same to know God, to be like Jesus and to share him with other people. The end goal being literally to be a part of physically being made perfect upon Jesus's return and our resurrection from the dead and being a part of what God is doing in redeeming the world. So what do we do about it? In verse 15, it says, all of us who are mature to take such a view of things. And in and on, excuse me. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. I'm 28, and I've been working out now since I was 15 years old, and and that desire just gets worse and worse in my life. I love being in the gym. The gym is me time. So I go to the gym, I get in my bubble, and I am living it up. Because, I mean, it, literally, it's my, kind of my outlet, and I just love being there. But the things that I've learned so far over being a part of practicing, reading, studying, talking to people, the whole deal, I kind of put together my own system, which I call Cases Abs in 84 Days. Which this is not an infomercial. I give it out for free. If you'd like it, you can have it. But what I've learned is that it takes roughly 84 days to lose 25 to 30 pounds, if you do it. You know, if you continually, you know, put the, the effort in, the work in, it will actually work. However, at the end of which, at the end of three months, you can stand, you can look in the mirror, and you can go, I have arrived at this goal. I have now made it. I can now see my abdominal muscles. Yes! What you can't do is go sit on the couch for the next four weeks and eat whatever you want and go back in the mirror and go, I am still here. Because you're not. Literally, I'm like, what we do as far as staying physically fit is for right now. All the effort of the last 15 years of my life of being in the gym and sweating and running and hurting and surgeries and all that I've gone through and the foods and the dieting and all the tuna. I've consumed more tuna than any of you will ever conceive. For right now. That's it. Tomorrow I've got to get up and I've got to do it all again. For tomorrow. I have to continue to forget. The last thing I want to do is when I'm 40 years old, go do when I was 25. Woo. You have to continue. Same thing. Those of us who are mature, let us think in such a way that I am forgetting what is behind and I am pushing forward. I am not being hindered by my past failure, success, or who I was. And I am chasing after what God has called me to do. If you want that program, call me. I'll give it to you. Email for free. Those who are mature, let us think the same way. If you think differently, God will make it clear and let us live up to what we've already attained. Verse 17, Paul says, Join with others in following my example, brothers. 
and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For I, often told, or for I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their dis- destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Paul, Paul moves, and I think writes maybe for two different reasons, or a possible two different reasons. One being possibly just a warning of falling away, a warning of... Uh, at least communicating the idea of the perseverance of the saints, meaning those who know Jesus will continue to the end, will endure until the end, will continue to follow Jesus until the end. The other reason is is very obvious. Um, Paul writes and says, As I am writing to you even now in tears, as I I am shedding my sorrow through my eyes of those who don't know Jesus. We get to see some of just Paul's heart and what he does and why he does what he does because he loves those he's trying to reach. I mean, to the point where as he writes a letter of encouragement to those who are following him, he writes in tears of those who are not. Because it's not Paul looking at the world and going, you guys are wrong and I can't wait till God shows up and shows you that you're wrong. But God, I wish you would change their minds and bring them to their senses so that they would escape this. So we get to see his heart that he is pushing forward to share with those he loves, those who are persecuting them, those who will actually eventually kill him. Verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. And kind of referring back to this resurrection of the the um, resurrection of the dead, which again I argue is a like a physical perfecting and redeeming upon Christ's return. So the question of of what is the goal that is communicated here? Again, the goal is to know God. The goal is to be like Jesus. The goal is to take part in what God is doing and to share Jesus with others. He says, "What are we supposed to do about it?" We're supposed to push forward. I was um, very excited when the digital TV thing all hit and channels changed and all those things. I just have an antenna hanging in my attic that connects to my TV because I watch football and that's pretty much it except during the Dancing with the Star season because I have a wife and a daughter and they love dancing and so there I am watching Dancing with the Stars and it's amazing. Um, I couldn't believe when Emmett Smith said winning that thing was like winning the Super Bowl, it broke my heart <laughs> in pieces. I mean, anyways, so we we get some more channels because of this, which is we now get uh, obviously my football channel, and then we get channel 5 3, which I don't know what that means, I just know I can find it. There it is, and it sports all the time. Thank goodness. So I turn it on. When football's not on, that's what I'm watching. So I sit down and turn on the TV, on, and it is a recap of uh, the Iron Man from Lake Placid in 09. And they're doing a cover story on a guy named Matthew Long. And Matthew Long was a fireman in New York who, uh, in 2005, had, with a group of other firemen, qualified for the Boston Marathon and was training for it and actually already done an Iron Man and was just a, you know, a physically fit guy and just had some great goals and was living that out. He was in his, uh, in his late 30s. Um, while he was doing that, and just things were going well for him. And he was on his way to work one day, 
uh, it was, I guess, a snowy day, and, and there were some problems with the public uh, transportation, something about a strike, and he had to ride his bike to work that day. So him and I think one of his training partners were riding to work, and as he was approaching, I guess, the station, a bus turned the corner and ran over uh, this guy named Matthew Long. And when it did, I mean, a bus is not like the smart cars where you just bounce off or they fall over. But the bus is literally runs over. He gets underneath and tangled in the rear axle, him and his bike, which the bike impaled. This may get gross. I'm sorry. Um, I, don't, I pass out pretty regularly, too. So if I go down, I'm sorry. I shouldn't. So it's not that gruesome. Um, impales him, hits him in the chest, and rips all, basically all the way down to his groin and just rips him open, rips his abs open, shatters one leg, um, goes through multiple surgeries. It's, I mean, it's a miracle that the man lived through the incident regardless. Um, that was in an 05. Like I said, had multiple surgeries to repair a leg. His right leg is like two inches shorter than his left leg now. His right foot is completely mangled and turned sideways. And after a few years, I was reading this article uh, actually, I watched the storyline, and then I went back and read, read an article on it. Afterwards, he was tired of people asking him after a few years, how you doing, you making it, how you holding up, and decided, I'm going to go out and I'm going to run a marathon. You know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go back and I'm going to be an Ironman again. And the man with literally, I mean, if you YouTube him, you can look it up and watch how he runs. He basically, I mean, kind of limps with one leg and then drags the other as he runs. The guy's totally jacked, though. I mean, he is just, but when he runs, it's like, just dragging his leg, and the man was able to swim, what, it's like 2.4 miles, bike one, 113 point something miles, and then run another 26 point something, done all within underneath the 17-hour time frame. I mean, unbelievable achievement for this guy. This idea of forgetting not to banish and put out of our mind, but rather to deal with in whatever manner you need to, to pursue whatever goal it is, and in, and in this manner, dealing with whatever our issues are to pursue knowing God, loving Him, and sharing Him with other people. Very practical ways for us to do that. For some of us, it means, it means loving our neighbor. It means getting to know those who live around us and looking for opportunities to share Jesus with them. Being, being available to help, maybe in those situations, or just being available to help whenever a need comes up. For some of us, that is sitting down with our kids and teaching them how to pray and teaching them how to, how to read a Bible. For some of us, that, that's going to be the most important thing we ever do is to raise our kids in a godly way so that maybe they will walk out having encountered God, having known God, and be grounded in that, who will walk out and make who knows what kind of impact for the kingdom of God. That is your number one job at home. It's not our job to train to teach them. Our job is to help. Your job is to love and show them who Jesus is and, and to live that out for them. For some of us, it means that we need to chase our woman again. Some of us, it literally, it means we need to forget what's behind us, whether that's success or failure, and become as we once were when we, when we were 19. I don't know much about marriage and, and I don't argue to be a therapist or a counselor or anything like that, but I do think that a lot of us men, if we took that stance and began to actively do that on a daily basis, it would change much of our family dynamic. It would change much of our situation.
But we are too challenged today literally is to forget what's behind us. To love God with all that we are in living out, walking behind Jesus. Practically doing the things He said to love neighbors. And to share Jesus with other people. The goal is to know God, to be like Jesus, to in the end partake in that redemption and to share Christ with others. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you now. Just thank you for today. Thank you for another chance to come and to worship you, uh, to read from your word and uh, to find answers to our questions. God, I just um, ask for opportunities this week for each one of us to share you with those around us. Uh, Help us to be able to notice, to see, and to have the courage to step out and begin to share our faith with uh, those who don't know you. And we just thank you for your love uh, and the grace that you've made available to us. In your name we pray. Amen.